Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And this episode, wake up and smell the coffee buzz, because there ain't no time like now to check out SST-156, the DC-3 album, Vita. I wanted to call it the Des Kadena Trio album, but it's there's actually four people, so it has to be DC-3 for this record. Right. And Brant, just in the nick of time, we've got a special guest. Yeah, Des Kadena's on the show. Nice. Des is the man. So happy that uh, he got in touch so that we could have him on the show. Yeah, great to go through the tracks these uh, these shows with him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, very very cool to kind of get that insight into what the heck was going on with the band at the time. And uh, it's great. This is a cool live album from DC Three, and really looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, and you know, Brant. It's our second last episode of the year. You know what that means, hey? Mm, what does it mean? There's one more episode after this one. <laughs> right. Duh. Okay. You think, hey, and next year, do you think we'll make her to 200? That's the goal. Make th- her to 200, eh? I counted. This year, we did 51 episodes, I think, wow. in 2020. Yeah, that's pretty good. We did not take a break, I don't think, except for the break we're about to take. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Well, if it wasn't for all of the ultra super high production quality that we apply to these episodes each week, maybe we could do more than one episode a week. Yeah. You know, we spend a lot of time mixing it up and with super sophisticated sound effects and everything so it's it's pretty hard to do more than one episode a week but it's been a good year so far i'm looking forward to having a wind up next week yeah man hey ryan yo why don't you hit me with some spiels okay man (laughs) how's that for mixing it up whoa you really i don't even know what to do now um all right here we go i've got a few okay my first one it's a rock dock alert ready Okay, yeah. Rock Doc Alert. So that uh, Minnesota Hardcore series on Twin Cities PBS, their fifth episode dropped. That one's cool. You should check that one out. Um, It's a cool series, 15, 20 minutes a show. Great uh, stuff. Lots of um, people that we know and love on this show on that podcast. So check that out. Well, it's like a, I guess it's a video, a video documentary thing would is that a vlog if there's more than one sure i don't know okay let's call it a vlog second one though on my rock doc alert is if you'll recall i did a podcast shout out about that series of blasting room podcasts and now there's a new blasting room documentary that's coming out next year which is looking really cool um i think it'll It'll somewhat overlap with some of the stuff covered in the filmage documentary, of course, but I think it's going to go deeper into like all the people that are on that podcast that I mentioned a couple episodes ago. And then also to get more into a lot of the bands and kind of the evolution of the Blasting Room. So very cool there. Yeah, there's a trailer for it. I think it's BlastingRoomFilm.com. Yeah. I did watch it. It looks good. It does look good. Yeah, I don't have website addresses for any of these. Um, Sorry, dude. You'll have to ask Jeeves or go on to Bing or something and search it. Okay. Uh, okay. I got two more. Here's what, here's another one called the outhouse. This is a rock doc on that, that little all ages out in the boonies club in Kansas city. That was kind of a hub for 
um, hardcore back in the day and all the touring bands. And there's tons and tons of bands on the SS tree in this uh, documentary trailer. That looks good. The Outhouse. That looks like a cool doc. And then finally, the uh, the last one I have is called Dope, Hookers, and Pavement. This is a doc on the Detroit hardcore punk scene. All of these are coming out in the new year, so we'll have lots to check out. Um, this Detroit one, though, looks like it would be a good video accompaniment to that book, Why Be Something You're Not, that Detroit hardcore book on Revelation Records. Hmm. So check out that one. They've all got trailers up, like you say. Next, also on the tree, Jack Endino has done it again, and he's remixed another of his albums. I checked it out. It's the the Skinyard Inside the Eye record, but he complete that one was on cruise, of course. Now it's remixed and expanded, and it's called Beyond the Eye. And Jack has got a big write-up about, again, the story behind the remix. There's also notes for each track. Cool to check that one out. And then my last spiel relates to uh, the band Live Skull. They've got mm. a new record out that's worth checking out called Dangerous Visions. This is a follow-up to their Saturday Night Massacre album from last year. Always kind of thought of them as a homestead band. I think that's because like probably their their best-known records to me are on homestead. But these, this one, like their last one, Saturday Night Massacre, is on Bronson Recordings. So two years in a row, we've got some new live skull, some cool New York no wave coming back at you to uh, get 2021 started off. Check out that new live skull. Right on, man. Yeah, and Dino's in my spiels too. Cool. Well, hit me with your spiels. Okay. Well, I want to start on a bit of a downer note, Ryan. I don't know if you saw this, but Jonathan Mako Sharkey passed away this week. I did, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he plays keys, of course, in Zoog's Riffs Band for many years, and he played with John Truby in the Ugly Janitors of America. So, yeah, sending out condolences to his friends, family, and former bandmates. It's been a tough year uh, for the Zoog's Rift family this year. Uh, former drummer Tom Brown also passed away, so... Yeah, that's too bad. Condolences for sure. Definitely still love those Zoogs records, and Mako has got the best name of all time. Yeah. Ryan, I wanted to hit people to this website called circulationzero.com. It's this guy, Ryan Richardson. He's really doing a great public service. He's digitizing entire runs of old zines in like really great PDF formats. Uh, he is asking those who enjoy this you know, the website to donate to like Doctors Without Borders. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So he's, you know, he's kind of doing it for a good cause too. He's got so far all 29 issues of Slash Magazine up there. Uh, the San Francisco zine called Damage. A few others, but my fave is this awesome zine that we've talked about a few times by this guy, Bruce Kahlberg, uh, called Nomag. And any fan of this podcast would love scrolling through that. Just for like the ads alone, here's a few things I picked out, like just from scrolling through them. One issue has a history of L.A. punk written by Chuck Dukowski. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Bruce was an artist as well, so there's some great artwork throughout it, a bunch of fashion, uh, some really high-quality photos like by people like Ed Culver and people like that. There's some Pettibone art in it. 
There's interviews with Spot, Descendants, Saccharin, Meat Puppets, Rollins, Twisted Roots, Dead Hippie, Flesh Eaters, Gun Club, Psycom, Legal Weapon. There's an article on the Zero Gallery that we mentioned a couple weeks ago with uh, Modi Frank. Divine Horseman. There's a profile on Jordan Schwartz and Dave Markey. There's a big interview with SWA, DOA, Flipper. There's an interview with David Lynch. It's really cool. And as I was flipping through it, Ryan, I came across an ad for this album by a band called Basic Black. The album's called Cannon Fodder. And it's advertised as 13 songs of love, despair, and revolution. And it's on New Alliance Records. This was pre-Gin. So this would have been the Watt and uh, D. Boone era of New Alliance. I could not find anything out about this record. It definitely didn't come out on New Alliance. They have one 12-inch EP from 1983 called Fame and Fortune on Stuck Pig Records, which is the only release on that label. So I'm assuming it's the band's own label. But I couldn't find out anything about this band. I've never even heard the band name Basic Black before. Huh. So if anybody listening to this knows anything about Basic Black or this record cannon fodder that was supposedly going to come out on new alliance records let us know i'd love to know about it oh there goes ryan he's off to the flex books or something <laughs> now ryan's got to know too yeah sorry i just wanted to check i i was getting that confused with that i think it's a pretty sure it's a homestead band the basic black jacks but that's different you're saying the basic basic black yeah who knows? Maybe it's the same band and they just added jacks or something. I'm now looking at the flex book. Okay, while you flip and dig around, Ryan, I'm going to go on to my next spiel, okay? Do it. But you might want to have a pen in one hand because I'm doing, Ryan, the number section of my get this shit off my phone <laughs> segment. <laughs> these are these are the bands that start with numbers. like So any band I name, I'm, you know, it's at the actual number. It's not written out. Like if, you, if anybody wants it, like the one oh one ers, right? Nine three five three. Just in case, seven right. seconds. What else? Well, you're about to find out, but just in case anybody wants to look these bands up, Ryan, a band called Four Hundred Blows. Do you know them? I don't. Hmm. I thought maybe you recommended them because they are a total Ryan band. There's a couple different bands with this name, Four Hundred Blows. I'm talking about the LA one, not the UK one. I did a record called Sickness and Health. It came out in 2011 on that label, ORG. Yeah. Uh, it's this guy, Scott Martin, on vocals, who was actually in big business for a spell. And the drummer, uh, Kevin, I'm sorry, I don't recall his last name. He played in Midget Handjob for a while and in Circle Jerks and a bunch of other notable bands. But 400 Blows, Ryan, check them out. Noisy, metal-tinged rock. Maybe a little bit like that band Kittens that we like or something. Okay. 400 I guarantee plays. you. Yeah, you'll like it for sure. Right on. Seven seconds, Ryan. I did the record Soul Force Revolution, 1989. I like this record. Is that allowed? Oh, yeah. You are allowed to like any seven seconds record on this show. Because okay. I, I mean, I got into early and mid era seven seconds simultaneously, because I think I mentioned this before, at least where I grew up, you could get like the first two 
and then out on the shizzy. And that's about it. Okay, well, you're a way bigger 7 Seconds fan than I am, so I have a question. I know okay. this record quite well, Soul Force Revolution. Yep. And I know I know the record New Wind quite well, and I like them both. Yep. There's one in between called Ourselves, which I've never heard. It's good. Restless Records, yep. right? Is it Restless? I think, I think so. I think that's a Restless one, just like Soul Force. There, I mean, I like all 7 Seconds. So I should check that one out. Oh, yeah. A lot of people start saying that this is when they started trying to sound like U2 or and shit like that, but no, forget it. This is this is that, you know, great late 80s melodic hardcore that uh, was coming up right when I was getting into it, and I, I can't help yeah. it. I still love it. Me too, man. The first thing I ever got by 7 Seconds, and still my favorite thing to this day, is the Praise EP. Yeah, that see, that's... That's an odd one to point out for sure. For me, like I got the crew, walk together, rock together, and then out in the shizzy, which is like not my favorite one, but it's one of the ones that I know the best. Speaking of band documentaries, man, how is there not a seven seconds documentary? Yeah, that's a good point. There is that BYO doc and there's a fair amount of seven seconds, but a standalone seven seconds one, they could definitely fill up a documentary for sure. Especially like there, you know, the movement, the Nevada scene, um, and their evolution as a band, that's at least one standalone hour and a half. Yeah. Okay, Ryan, 45 Grave, Only the Good Die Young, their live reunion album from 1989 on Restless. Maybe it's from having Paul Rossler on a few weeks ago. Maybe it's from that Phantoms book that you bought for me. But I am on a total 45 Grave kick right now. Um although Paul's not on this record, two things stand out. Dinah Cancer is a total underrated vocalist, and Paul B. Cutler is one of the best guitarists to ever come out of that scene. That's a great record, the live Only the Good Die Young. Interesting. Yeah, you know what? I've never really gotten into them, but I'm planning to devote some serious time to reading that Phantoms book over the, the holiday break here, and that'll be a great time to do a deep dive for sure. Yeah. Okay, Ryan, here's a band I'm curious if you know, if you've, if you're aware of 23 Skidoo. Do you know that band? <laughs> no, I like the name though. You should check them out. So it's called Seven Songs. It's their 1982 debut, although the CD remaster has all their early singles on it, which are really good. It's British post-punk with kind of touches of in, like early industrial and some world music, like Gang of Four kind of pissed off funk. Cool. It's it's really really good. I need to they and they've got a lengthy discography. Like I'm definitely going to check out more 23 Skidoo. Speaking of Gang of Four, I was thinking about all of these bands that you know cuz I'm starting to wind up for our top 10s. I was thinking of all the bands from 2019 who put out stuff that we at least I completely neglected to mention such as that last Gang of Four album, Happy Now, which is a great Gang of Four record, which I was listening to about a week ago. So I better get into some skidoos, I guess. 23 skidoo. Okay, Ryan, 64 Spiders. I got a digital copy of their self-titled cassette from 1987. It was recorded at Reciprocal with Indino. It's early pre-grunge Stooges, Green River. You know, uh, it's James Bertie Shaw from Cat Butt, Scott McCollum who was later in Skinyard. 
Uh, it's on this cassette label, Endgame Records, that also has a Jack and Dino record on it called Angle of Attack. Yep. Okay, speaking of Seattle, I did the 10-minute warning record from 89, the sub-pop one. Or, sorry, from 98, actually. So, uh, super interesting history with 10-minute warning. They formed in Seattle in 82 by ex-Farts, Paul Soldier, and Duff McKagan, and future Mother Lovebone drummer, Greg Gilmore, who also plays on that Endino record that I just mentioned, by the way. They are credited as one of the first punk bands to kind of slow down and bring more rock into their sound, like, you know, kind of usher in what became known as the Seattle sound. They made several attempts at recording an album, including apparently for Alternative Tentacles. Various lineup changes, uh, vocalist Steve Verwolf had a drug habit that would eventually land him in a federal prison. Fast forward to 1997, Duff leaves GNR, moves back to Seattle, which actually you're going to hear about in this interview, so that's timely, uh, and ends up reforming this band, 10 Minute Warning. And they finally record an album for Sub Pop with a new vocalist. It's a cool record, uh, a few reworkings of some farts tracks. And, Ryan, I noticed there's a comp, a new comp out uh, that I'm going to try and track down here called 10 Minute Warning, The Lost Months, October 1982 to May 1983. It's a double LP. It looks like it might have the demos and some of the stuff, you know, some live stuff from that era on it. It does not have the unreleased album, as far as I can tell, which is a shame. I don't even know what the, uh, you know, status of that is, if it survived at all. It, you'd think it would have been bootlegged by now if it had. Yeah. If there was, like, if there was one chest pressing, it would be bootlegged. Yeah. So what are they, what do they sound like? I've never really gotten into them. You mentioned it, though. It's like, it's, it's slowed down metal? No. Yeah. Well, kind of like Tales of Terror, maybe, or something like that. Oh, okay. You know, like a, totally a punk band, but with more rock, more of a rock influence. Okay, cool. You know, um, although this later one on Sub Pop is definitely more of a rock album. Ten minute But one. you can find, yeah, you can find their, their demos as bootlegs, and they're, you know, they're a punk band for sure. Okay. Okay, Ryan, I did... Back to Seattle, the seven-year bitch record, Viva Zapata. Ooh. Their second album from 1994 on CZ Records. The title and cover are a tribute to their friend Mia Zapata, singer of the Gits, who had been tragically raped and strangled to death the year prior. Also, their original guitarist, Stephanie Sargent, had died a few years prior of an overdose. So there's lots of, you know, righteous anger on the record relating to those two tragedies. It's a killer, grungy punk record. Yeah, that's my favorite one by them for sure. Yeah, that's good. 999, Ryan, Separates, their second from 1978. You know, I have a few 99 records. You, they, you come across them, but it's not something I go back to, but I recently heard them on a TV show or something. I don't recall where I heard them, and I, it kind of really grabbed me. So uh, great first wave British punk rock not dissimilar to say buzzcocks or something like that and they're apparently still going with three of the four original members which is pretty incredible really yeah is, is it uh who's their singer is it fearful sharky is that their singer i couldn't tell you is that right i think i might be right i might be wrong 
but yeah, they, they're definitely from that era and you do see their records around a ton. And I'm like you, I never really got into them. They kind of seemed, I don't know, maybe a little, a, a little softer than the buzzcocks to me anyways. And, and they never really stuck their hooks into me in the same way as other bands around that time. I think I'm wrong though. I don't think that that's Virgo Sharky. I can't remember what the hell band that, that guy's in. Well, that album separates would be a good place to revisit 999. Okay, Ryan, a while ago I was at your house and we were rocking to some crocus. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and we started talking about bands that sound like ACDC and you hit me to the Spanish band 77. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I did their record high decibels. That's a good band. That is. Oh, dude, yep. Fear Go Sharky, he's from The Undertones, not from 999. Big mistake. Sorry. Okay. Hey, Ryan, another band we were probably listening to at that same time that we were listening to that 77 record, 63 Monroe, stinking out the joint. Yes. 1985, pretty legendary glammy punk band from London, Ontario, Canada. At least legendary in Canada, for sure. I And I'm pretty sure they have a new record out, actually. Really? Yeah. No way. I wonder if that's any good. Or at least an EP. Okay, back to Seattle, Ryan. Three Swimmers, American Technology EP. Very early Seattle post-punk from 1982. Pretty sure this band got on my radar after listening to an interview with Steve Fisk on the Tape Op podcast. Pretty sure he talks about this band. 24-7 Spies, New York band. Still together, I believe. I did their 1992 album, Strength in Numbers. Cool kind of rock, metal, funk, reggae hybrid. Not again, not unlike Rise era Bad Brains or Living Color at times. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Five Style. Miniature Portraits, 1999 on Sub Pop. This is Bill Dolan's pre-Heroic Doses band. It's got John Herndon of Tortoise on drums. Pretty cool, eclectic instrumental record. It's got some ambient stuff it's jazzy i like that heroic, heroic doses record better but this is good too okay two more ryan 316 is the band they've got this new single called commandos for christ you would not like it but they're this fictional band kind of modeled after 80s christian metal like striper or whatever and it's for this movie that's coming out called electric jesus about this this band 316 that's trying to break into the christian metal scene whoa and it's it's got kevin from uh from uh the office in it kevin malone oh what does he play is... <laughs> he's like their manager or something <laughs> no way but the song's really good there's a video for that song commandos for christ and it's actually really good and finally ryan three inches of blood here waits thy doom uh the great uh New Wabam influence band from Victoria, BC. This is their second from last record, and technically speaking, it featured no original members uh, following several lineup changes, but it still has the amazing Cam Pipes on vocals, who actually sang on, pretty sure he sang on all their records. It's a bit more rock than their earlier stuff, but it's awesome. Three inches of blood. That's it. Dude. I'm officially done getting shit off my phone. Now for what? 2020. Now what? Probably scale it back. Like scale back taking stuff off? Scale back the spiels. Oh, man. Don't scale back. <laughs> well, th thanks again to everyone who's didn't skip through all of this and has listened to me ramble about these 
these records? Oh man, I I've got my cockatoo quill out every week to uh, nice do some homework. I'm still like I'm still recovering from all those hair metal recommendations, but uh, they've been pretty good so far. There's lots of stuff that I've checked out every week, so I'm down. Right on. Get some stuff on your phone next year. Give me some more recommends. All right. Do you want to get into this record? As you will. History lesson, part one. All right, Brent. DC three plus one for this episode. Where should we go with uh, the Des Kadena band here? I, you know, I was thinking like our next episode is a SWA episode. It's probably like can't get any more SST as a final two episodes as DC three and SWA. Hey, like totally, man. And and we just had Paul on the show too, right? So it's it's yeah. perfect timing. Yeah, well, we've got two ex Black Flags, man, in uh, Des and Chuck. So, yeah, no doubt. I got a little history lesson here, Ryan. So, of course, the band is Des Kadena on guitar and vocals, Paul Rossler, keyboards and backing vocals, Cesar Vizcarra on bass, and Louis. Dufau on drums, who of course were the rhythm section of The Stains, although Louis joined after the album was recorded, which was SST10. We've had the band on before, on episode 33, 1985's This Is The Dream, on episode 63, The Good Hex, which came out in 1986, and we interviewed Paul Rossler for that episode. Episode 83, You're Only As Blind As Your Mind Can Be, where we, for also from 1986, where we interviewed Des. And it got me thinking about, remember how Joe Carducci hipped us to that, the catalog numbers? Right. 33, 63, and 83? Yep. And also, we've seen them on episode 43, The Blasting Concept, Volume 2, where they cover the song Theme from an Imaginary Western. So this is a live album. The live mix was done by Brian Benjamin, like he mixed them live, uh, I'm assuming for all three shows. Neither Des or Paul were certain uh, who Brian was, though. Dead, Des did ask me to clear up a comment that he made in our previous interview. I believe he says in that interview, interview that Dave Travis engineered this live record. It was, in fact, Phil Newman, yeah, who, who was in Painted Willie and had the Spinhead studio. Dave... Travis was an assistant engineer on You're Only As Blind As Your Mind Can Be, which is where I think the, the confusion came in. Uh, they did three recording sessions for this record, December 87 at Raji's, February 88 at Bogart's, and also February 88 at the Palomino. I came up with a little spiel on each of these venues, Ryan. Is it some, not something we really talk about a lot, but pretty important you know, a lot of these clubs. Oh yeah. Bogarts and the Palomino has shown up a few times on the show at least. And you do come up on them when you're reading books about the scene uh, of this era, right? They come up from time. They don't have like their own book, all these clubs back then, or, or, or that would let bands like this play. They all are super important. I was thinking about that when I was looking at the, these uh, these rock docs, the one about the outhouse, right? Like how many places like that have died over the last year? And I hope they come back next year. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure, man. Okay, well, check this out. Raji's street address, the street address, 6160 Hollywood Boulevard, located in the Hastings Hotel building in central Hollywood, run by founder and booker Danny Dobbs Wilson, who unfortunately passed away in 2010. It had a capacity of 175, and Danny opened it after the Café de Grande, which he managed, went out of business. It ran from around 85 to 93, and it was apparently badly damaged in the 1994 uh, Northridge earthquake. I found a pretty cool LA Weekly article from 2016, and it's called The 20 Best LA Music Venues That Are Gone But Not Forgotten. It's a really fun read. This is on its list. I think it's like number six or something like that. Uh, that article mentions some of the bands that played there. Nirvana, Red Cross, The Hangmen, Guns N' Roses, Jane's Addiction, uh, Texan The Horseheads played there a zillion times. Many great live albums were recorded there also. TSOL's Live 91 reunion record. The 45 Grave album that I just mentioned in my spiels was recorded there. A super... Super awesome Dream Syndicate record called Live at Raji's, which was reissued, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago as the complete Live at Raji's. It's really awesome. Paul B. Cutler, who I just mentioned, plays guitar on that record. Uh, the Lazy Cowgirls have a single, Frustration, Tragedy, and Lies, that was recorded live there. Right. Yeah. And then Bogarts, 6288 East Pacific Coast Highway in Long Beach, California. It was a 300-cap room. Opened in 1987 and closed in 93. So would have been pretty new when this was recorded, this Vita record. Some notable bands that played there include Nirvana again, Prong, Faith No More, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Thelonious Monster, uh, Olive Lawn, Ryan. Nice. I saw. Jesus Lizard, Adrian Ballou, The Gun Club. Ryan, The Tragically Hip played there. Cool, man. One of the most famous Canadian bands. Uh, booked primarily by Stephen Zapata. Some live bootlegs that you can find that were recorded there, like Nirvana, Jesus Lizard. Uh, a track off that first Bootstrappers album was recorded there. Uh, this okayish Screaming Trees boot from 92 called Winter Songs was recorded there. And most interestingly... Jello Biafra's second spoken word album, High Priest of Harmful Matter, was recorded at Bogart's. Oh, no way. Yeah. I probably knew that and read it way, way back when I had that. Yeah. And finally, Ryan, easily the most famous of the three clubs uh, that we're talking about here, the Palomino, 6907 Lancashire Boulevard, North Hollywood, first opened in 1949 as a country music club. Check this out. Here's just some of the bands that played there. Uh, and man, if like if ever there should be a documentary about a club, the Palomino should probably have one. Uh, the Everly Brothers, Johnny Cash, Linda Ronstadt, Buck Owens, Patsy Cline, Willie Nelson. Uh, later, Elvis Costello, Neil Young. Uh, there was once apparently an onstage jam between George Harrison, John Fogarty, Bob Dylan, uh, Taj Mahal and Jesse Ed Davis, who we just actually talked about uh, when we talked about the Scott Colby record. Uh, in the 80s, it started hosting, you know, bands from like the Roots or cowpunk scene, if you want to call it that. Some punk rock, the Paisley Underground bands played there a lot. 
Many, many SST bands played there. It had the largest cap of the three rooms at 400. I don't think it started as a 400 capacity room. I think it expanded at some point. In that same LA Weekly article, it's listed at number two right behind the Starwood. Uh, apparently, Jerry Lee Lewis was such a fan of the venue, he played there at least once a year from 1957 up until 1987. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Another another cool thing I found out about the Palomino, Ryan, is like it opened at 6 a.m., I think I read, and it had happy hour from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., and it was much like the club that I've been booking at for 20 years, it stayed open during sound checks, which you can't imagine, Ryan, how much joy uh, I uh, I felt when I read that. Because we take a lot of shit for staying open during sound checks. Yeah, well, what else are you going to do, man? Yeah. Wait a second, it opens at 6 a.m.? I think that's what I read, yeah. So what, it's closed for three hours a day? I max, guess so, yeah. Max? Nice. Yep. Uh, as well as being featured in many well-known movies, several live albums were recorded there. Sun Ra, Jerry Lee Lewis, of course, Del Reeves, Plim Souls, Flying Burrito Brothers, and Ryan, the Firehose Live Totem Pole EP was recorded at the Palomino. That I knew. Uh, and it was also mentioned in the Frank Zappa song, San Bernardino. And it, it closed its doors in 1995, so it had quite the run. Yeah, no doubt. So I was digging around, Ryan, trying to find info on these shows, like some posters. You'll hear in the interview, I asked Des for some details. He, he couldn't really recall any, which is understandable. We're going back quite a ways here. Totally. Yep. I found some cool listings, though, for some of these clubs. Uh, SWA with DC3 on December 4th, possibly in 88. So, <laughs> and on the poster, it says SWA card holders get a dollar off at the door. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they're all, that's for um, the Palomino. Swa's also listed at the Palomino the night before with St. Vitus as guests. And it's called their Conquest 88 tour. And it says Swa card holders free for that one. Whoa. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck Dukowski and Jordan Schwartz must have had these clubs on speed dial. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I found a really interesting one, a uh, poster for Raji's, uh, which featured Craig Abara's band Rig, which was on cruise, DC3, a band called Lipstick Sandwich featuring Des Kadena and Dave Markey. That's what it says on the poster. And the headliners, and it says this on the poster, Deaf American Recording Artists Flipper. Whoa. Which makes me think that this would have been as late as 91 or 92, which was when Flipper did the reunion album for Deaf American. So I was thinking about this band Lipstick Sandwich. I w wish I would have seen this before interviewing Des because I would have asked him about it for sure. Um, there's a comp called Dave Markey and Heavy Friends with a bunch of his various projects on it. It's on this, you can hear it on Bandcamp on this uh, thicksyruprecords.bandcamp.com. There's a track on there credited to Des, Billy, and Davey. Billy being Bill Bartell. So I'm wondering, wondering if maybe that's not Lipstick Sandwich. Hmm. There's some cool stuff on there, though. There's a track uh, with Thurston on vocals, Des on guitar, Watt on bass, and Dave on drums. There's another one with Mike D of the Beastie Boys on vocals, Thurston again, Kira on bass, 
Dave on drums, uh, that band Chop that he had. Oh yeah, the right. The VOC cover band with yep. Watt. That's on this comp. Some interesting stuff. What's the name of Dave, the comp? Dave Markey and Heavy Friends. Thick Syrup Records Bandcamp. Wow. Uh, so if anyone knows anything about this band, again, uh, Lipstick Sandwich, let us know. I'm hoping to have Dave Markey on for our two-timer club. Hopefully for uh, the Melting Plot episode, because I'm pretty sure he assembled that comp. What about the mini plot? <laughs> Maybe that one too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also found a listing for Friday, February 28th for Raji's. No other bands listed. I'm pretty sure we've posted that, that image before, uh, but it's an image from this Stones poster, I'm pretty sure. At least I have it as a Rolling Stones poster. Uh, but I looked it up, and February 28th was on a Sunday in 1988. So who knows? Uh, if anyone was at these shows, these uh, DC3 shows, I'd love to know some info about them, like who else played. Uh, that's it, though, Ryan. That's my spiels about about the three clubs this was recorded at. Do you want to kick it over to Des? Yeah, let's do that. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Des Kadena. Des, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. good. I'm locked down here in Newark, New Jersey because of pandemic, but I'm, I'm feeling okay. I have a little bit of uh, allergies going on, but other than that, feeling good. Right on. All right, so we're talking about this DC3 Vita record, your live album. Now, I'm wondering if you can tell me what the status of the band was when you recorded this record. Did you know that the band was ending? No, I I could kind of tell a little bit, maybe. But when we recorded, when we actually recorded the album, I thought that it might, you know, doing a live album. Would have been a good idea. And we were all excited about it. And as far as I remember, us breaking up, it kind of happened gradually. And a lot of it had to do with Louie. We were all experimenting with like psychedelics and stuff, but Louie was drinking a lot. Oh, yeah. And um, I think it just got a little bit discouraging and it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. It wasn't like I quit. I mean... Also, touring was a problem a little bit. I think Caesar was planning to settle down and have kids, and he couldn't afford to go on tour because we weren't making enough money, which is understandable. For sure. So, but actually, Caesar stayed on and played with me for a few more years. We had like a DC3 for a couple more years. That never recorded. We just found a drummer, and we we played in town for a few years, and then we just kind of ended DC three. Just as a three piece, you know. Yeah, we were a three piece. Who was the drummer? Anybody we know? His name was Randy Mayone, and a weird thing happened to Randy. He just disappeared one day. We couldn't reach him. He had moved. He was with a wife. He left a wife. And I think Randy was a little bit into the speed. Oh, yeah. Pretty good drummer. And he was a really nice guy, but he kind of disappeared. Were there songs that you had written that you didn't end up recording? 
No, we weren't playing as much as the other DC three. We weren't touring, mm-hmm. and we were just playing in town. And when you when you're a band that just plays in town, maybe you'll play every other month. Because if you play too much, you're going to get your loyal fans, but you're not growing. You know what I mean? So we were just kind of playing in town. We weren't touring. Uh, we didn't write anything new. I didn't write anything new until I started the band Vita. Right, right. Which is about this is about four years later. I want to ask you about Vita, but let's talk about this era first. So... I feel like if any band on SST had to make a live record, it was DC3 because of all those great live records from the 70s. And you guys are kind of a jam band in a sense as well. Yeah, we got at least three three free form jams on that live record. And the CD was actually longer. We actually recorded enough material for like three sides of a record hmm. kind of like that i wanted it sst to release the album like that like have a blank side oh yeah but they didn't want to waste the vinyl and pay for the vinyl you know kind of like the johnny winter record second winner right. it's a studio record it has three sides right. side four is blank <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted it to be like that, but SST wouldn't go for it. It was, I could understand. You know, you're kind of paying for another thing of vinyl. You should at least have more songs, you know, make it a double album. The CD has more music than than the actual album. Right. Now these venues you played at, Raji's, uh, Bogart's, and the Palomino, are these regular haunts for DC3 at that time? We played everywhere. We played those places. We played Club 88. Early on, before Caesar and Louie, I had Kurt Markham and I had Steve McDonald fill in, and we opened up for Joe Perry. Oh, really? At the, at the music machine in Pico. Oh, wow. Well, it was weird. There was more people for us than Joe Perry. People left. <laughs> And and Joe, it was the Joe Perry project, right? And uh, they were very professional, but you know there was about a hundred people there to see them. There was two hundred people there to see us. Talk about a blow to the ego coming out of Aerosmith. Well, then they hooked up with Run DMC and made millions of dollars. So, yeah, you know that's that's the trade off. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Who would have hired Phil Newman to record this? Was this, would it some, been something you set up or was it SST that made this happen, do you think? We told them that we wanted to do a live album. And, you know, we kind of knew, like a group of people, like I knew Peyton Willie, I knew Phil. And I think Phil was up for recording people at Spinhead and maybe doing some live stuff. So, you know, I knew Dave Markey, Painted Willie, and we just came up with the idea of using him. Right. Now, the actual board that was recorded was 16 track. Do, it was Phil Newman who did the engineering. 
at the show. I thought it was Dave Travis, but it was Bill Newman. I believe it was recorded on two-inch tape. It would have had to be. Because if it was eight-track, it could be recorded on one inch. Do you recall, Des, anything about the shows themselves? Like, uh, who else would have been on the bill? Did the people coming, did they know that this the shows were being recorded? Well, it was such a close-knit scene that people knew we were rec- recording stuff. Right. But, you I mean, the only one, one of the bands, you know, I can only think of like two of the bands right now, but Tax and the Horse has played, played a lot of shows with us. Hmm. And Lawndale. I mean, we did a lot of parties, but that was a lot of bands. Firehose played a couple of parties with us, but they didn't play these shows. Right. That was a record. Exactly who played each show. I would really have to do some digging to find out who played those shows. I don't, with my foggy memory, but for some reason, Texan the Horse has, comes to mind. Yeah. You know? I mean, for all I know, the mentors could have played one of those shows. Hmm. They were always playing those clubs, but, uh, you know, we played a lot of shows with Swa. We played with, well, DC3. I don't know if we did any shows with the Minutemen we definitely saw a lot of Minutemen shows but then D Boone passed away yeah and then we did do a couple of things with Firehose when they started right can we talk about the tracks on the record Des it starts with your cover of Bang Bang the John Lee Hooker song which you record for the good hex yes and I always liked the song because when I was a kid that was actually the b-side to Boom Boom right uh, Johnny Hooker, and I used to have the single. Oh, okay. And I used to love it because then I would just flip it over, and it's basically the same song, <laughs> different words. I think he did that to try to make more money. For sure. You know, guys did that in those days. I believe it. You kind of do this medley. You do the the song "I Believe It" off "This Is the Dream," but then you go into this song that you call "Doom," which sounds just like a jam to me. Well. On the original original album, see, I believe it was a throw. It was a, we actually did it with Black Flag. There's a demo with Chuck Biscuits. We do, I believe it. And then, so was Ain't No Time Here Now. Although it was called, I think it was called that. So, oh. I believe it was a song we did with Black Flag. It was Henry Words. Right. It was called What Can You Believe? Right, yeah. When we recorded this, and I made them DC3 songs, I I made it I Believe It. And on the first album, there's a title called Apparent Doom. On the live album, I just called it Doom because it was slightly different. Jam. Ah, I see. Okay. And then we do Angels of Death because we're big Hawkwind fans. We threw that in the middle. And then we did Ain't No Time Here Now, which is the tune, and then Overtime, which is the jam at the end that we added at the end. So we had a lot of jams. Yeah. It kind of feels like a bit of a 
this is the dream medley almost. I think all those songs other than the Hawkwind. Oh yeah, there's a little brief, there's a little brief brief thing in there called Time and a Half. Right. But all of that, you know, I believe it is. It's it's all like 12 minutes. It's 13 minutes. Right. So there's sections in there that's not really tracks. I just named them. Right. Each section. And then As You Will was another jam. Right. What are you talking about in that song? <laughs> well, I pre- pretty much just kind of wrote something like, kind of like like a little rap. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't even, I would have to listen to it. Because I only performed that. Um, see, we did that jam live. Then we, when we went back to uh, Spinhead to mix, I go, I like this jam, but we got too many jams with no words. Ah. Let me re- recite something. So I wrote something on the spot. And it was more about, like, come on, everybody, get up off your ass and write music and jam and party and and rock, you know, like, kind of a message like that. Right. You know, rock and roll. <laughs> you know, and I would have to listen to it to tell you what I'm saying because I haven't right. recited or heard those words in, like, 30 years. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Is that the one at the very end where it goes, everything is everything? No, that's, I think, at the end of the record. Yeah, no, it's not at the end of the record. It's at the end of the CD. Right, at the end of the CD, yeah. Robert Becerra. Because, because, because the, 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 uh, the CD had more tunes on it. Right. That's Robert Becerra saying that? Yeah, he like, I think I put the mic in front of his face. We finished. And I said, say something. And he said that. <laughs> he was one of my very good friends, and he was one of my favorite guitar players. And our bands would always play. If there was a state, or, you know, at the time, there was probably this band called, he was trying to do, it was more metal than the Saints. It was called Nightmare. Okay. And we would do either hang out and party or go to each other's shows or sometimes play or I would go to East LA and I would jam with them and we would do Hawkwind songs or just whatever came to mind, you know? So he was, he was at the recording and I said, speak your mind. I said, say something. And he, he said that. <laughs> and in the recording, it was on the tape and I forgot. Uh-huh. So we go to Spinhead and I go, Holy shit, Robert. So I go, put that at the very end and put a delay on his voice. And I go, I'm going to do something. He's going on the record, whether he knows it or not. (laughs) He knew about it eventually, but when the album came out, I played him the album. Oh, this is cool. And then here's the thing at the end. He goes, what is that? (laughs) I go, that's you. We laughed about it. <laughs> it's kind of like a tribute and a joke at the same time. Okay, the next track on the record is called The Maniac. That's a song off The Good Hex. It was a guy from East LA that used to hang out with Robert. I think he was a guitar player too, but he was definitely a maniac. <laughs> he was one of those people that you never knew. Did a lot of drugs. 
all kinds of drugs, not just fooling around with a little pot or maybe psychedelics or whatever. He was all kinds of stuff. And I think he was um, one of the guys who kind of, who was older than Robert. He, I think he one of the guys who kind of taught him how to play guitar. And, but he, he didn't play that much guitar at the time. You know the people, some people, they hang out with you. You don't know if everything's going to be cool or if everything's going to be some crazy shit is going to happen. Right. So we, we used to call him the maniac. And uh, that was about him. Side power, again, Hawkwind. Yep. Now, you're, need I say more? Yeah. <laughs> And the words to that song are wonderful. If you, you listen to the people out there, listen to the my version or the original version. The original version, you could probably hear the vocals better. The words to that song are wonderful. I think it's on a Hawklords record, actually. It was actually Hawklords, but then they, there was a live at Stonehenge with Ginger Baker, and they do a really pumped up version with Ginger Baker on drums. It's really great. Oh, I'll have to check that great. out. Live at Stonehenge. With, I forget what year. Now, the next song is called Your Mother, and it's uh, the songwriters are Groucho Marx and me. Now, I didn't write a song with Groucho Marx. He was dead. <laughs> right. But he, he had written this poem that he used to recite when he would do live appearances on TV or at Carnegie Hall. And he, let me see if I could do it. Did you ever stop and ponder as you walked along the strand that life's a bitter battle at its best? And if you only knew it, then you'd lend a helping hand that every man should need its final test. Well, life is but a stage, my friend, and life is but a game. And how you plays what matters in the end. But whether a man is right or wrong, a woman gets to blame. And your mother is your dog's best friend. That's great. So I wrote music to that. I wrote music to that. And called the title of the track, Your Mother. Mm. And I never got sued. Well, I gave him credit. <laughs> yeah. I gave him credit and never sold a record and enough records to pay anybody but my own was there something about that poem that that grabbed you? The poem. I I said I'm going to write music to that, and it's going to be on my record. Yeah. And I wrote music to it. Yeah. So you know, I, I love the I, I love I'm a big Marx Brothers fan. On the record, you mentioned mm. you mentioned the name Fred Ruthensmeer. Was <laughs> you're you're upset with him? He didn't come to to do his part. What does that mean? Well, I think Pat, I, I was calling him Fred Ruthensmeer just out of jokingly. Right. But I was talking about Pat Smear. Okay. And I forget, I think he was just supposed to show up. I don't think he was going to play with us or I really don't know. I was just looking forward to seeing Pat and he never showed up. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't. Totally upset. I understand. Sometimes you put somebody on the list and they can't show. And Pat is sort of kind of like a recluse. So probably just said, oh, I don't want to go out to a show or whatever. I don't know, whatever. And, and 
So I said something about it. I see. The Locust, well, that's just a song about, uh, you know, like a, that's like a 70s bad song where you're writing about something with, like locusts coming in and devouring the earth. Kind of like what we're going through right now with the pandemic. Right. You know, it's kind of like, a, you know, I mean, that's self-explanatory. And then now I have to clear something up about Thirsty and Miserable. Thirsty and Miserable, when I wrote it with Black Flag, um, I just had the, the the music. And Greg said, oh, I got some words, but I didn't write them. Medea wrote them. And Medea was his girlfriend for a long time. I see. And he goes, look at these. I go, oh, that kind of cool, Thirsty and Miserable. It's kind of like six-pack a little bit, but it's kind of... My brother, he wants a ride to the liquor store. I pity him for what he wants it for. You know, I, right. I go, it fits. And then Robo, me and Robo pretty much came with, you know, I had the riff and Robo had the drum beat, so I get Robo a credit. I see. And, uh, the song Thirsty and Miserable, you dedicate it to Dave Chandler. Did you start doing that song again, maybe because of the Vitus version? No, I just did it because I wrote it. You know, but... I did dedicate it to Dave Chandler because good call there, right? Because they did do that 12-inch version of Thirsty. Now, I don't have a track list of the rest of the tracks, so you tell me. Okay, we've got Paul's song, No One But Yourself to Blame. Well, that's something, again, where I had the music and Paul wrote the lyrics. Ah, Okay. And I can't speak for him, but I think he wrote it. That's a very 70s-ish type of song. It's got a 70s riff, and it's no one but yourself to blame. You know, it's kind of his version of uh, of, of like a hard rock 70s song. He was writing the song with DC3 in mind, right. which we were like kind of a 70s throwback band. Uh, we've yeah. got... This is the dream. Well, this is the dream was like one of the first songs I wrote and for DC three. And it was me saying, yeah, this is the dream. I have my own band. You know, that's basically what it was about. Okay. We've got the song blind. I guess the title track off of you're only as blind as your mind can be. Yeah. Basically I just, I mean, I think we, just shortened it to blind, but it's on the live record, but it's basically you're only as blind as your mind can be, yeah. which was the instrumental jam, right? Yeah, it's credited to Louie and Paul, or they get a writing credit on it anyways. It wasn't a space out jam. It was a structured, like kind of more of a metal-ish type of jam. And uh, the title was influenced by a guy that I really liked on guitar named Uli Roth. Oh, Uli John Roth. Scorpions. Right, and he had his own solo stuff. He had a song called We're Still So Many Lives Away. And there was a line in there. Uh, I don't think it's exactly the same wording, but it's you're only as blind as your mind can be. Ah. And I go, that's a great line. I'm going to use it. Hey, look, I'm not afraid to tell people, you know, I borrow stuff. Sure, everybody does. That was a, like a, a more like a 
and those guys had this jam, and uh, I uh, contributed to it, but they, they get the credits and, and all. And uh, it was more like, kind of like a group collaboration, sort of. Okay. Louis probably hummed the melody to me or something like that, and I just played it on guitar and then we jammed it and stuff. Okay, and then the last track on the CD is Dance of the Imbeciles. Dance of the Imbeciles. That was kind of my, like, a, another instrumental jam. It was like a heavy instrumental jam. And the title was about when the punkers get out of control. Mm. That was the time when they was period of time when they, they were doing this hardcore circle, not with us, right? but during hardcore and punk rock shows, they would do these, this, you know, people can, a lot of times people didn't get hurt, but a lot of times people did. So we were like, you know what? That's a dance of the imbeciles. <laughs> When, when people started actually getting hurt, you know, pogoing was one thing, but slam dancing, you know, it started getting rougher and rougher and rougher. It was rough in the first place and started getting rougher and rougher and rougher. And uh, we, I just, I just wrote that song and I said, I'm going to call this Dance of the Imbeciles. <laughs> All right, what can you tell me about the cover artist, uh, Nanette Rowland? Well, Nan, for the longest time, was Mike Watt's girlfriend. Ah. Since high school, I think. Okay. That's my, that's my dog breathing heavy. That's not me. <laughs> She's looking at me like, it's, is it time to eat? <laughs> yeah, she was kind of a really... She was a really cool artist and a really cool girl, and she lived in San Pedro. Maybe she still does. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Okay. Hopefully she's alive and well. Yeah. And Caesar did the lettering on the record. Well, somebody went to high school. (laughs) Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. He did. He was a pretty good artist, too. He could draw pretty well. You mentioned the band Vita. Ended up naming your next band, I guess, after this record, or just liked the the name Vita. Tell me about how that band came together. Well, Angelina, no. You just be patient. No. All right, well... I think the first version of Vita, oh, it was with Tony Cicero on drums. Yeah. I'm trying to think if it was Bill Bowman on bass or Caesar. But I just started, you know, I hadn't been doing anything of my own for a couple of years. I was playing throughout time. I would just play with everybody in L.A., you know, the people I know. So I started jamming with Tony. And I'm trying to think if I knew Bill Bowman by that time. 
I think I met Bill Bowman. Bill Bowman was the guy from Hermosa Beach. He played bass. He's a guitar player, too. He's still there. And I, I started a three-piece. We did a demo, and we had a bunch of songs. And then, again, with somebody who couldn't go on tour. You know, as I got older, I was already... Where everybody was going into their 30s. Right. So it was more harder for people to go on tour, just take two weeks off and go when they got a steady job. I mean, how long are you going to keep your job? So I think that was basically with, with, with Tony. He was really into it, jamming, but so I was playing with Bill and I happened to meet who I hadn't seen in a long time, Tom Tricoli. And I played him the demo. And he goes, well, if you want to continue with this band name, I think it's a great name, and I like those tunes, you need another guitar player. And I go, well, before that, I need another, I need a drummer. <laughs> and he goes, I have a great idea. Let's call George Hurley. Right. And uh, I go, okay, then now... You can play guitar. <laughs> so we we started that and we released that album. We were around for oh, some years. I mean, we recorded that Vita studio album uh, in a garage. Again, one of, one of our friends, Eddie Ashworth, who worked at um, oh, that studio in Redondo Beach, where there was a lot of recordings done there. Um, I think some of the DC3 stuff was recorded there. Was it Redondo. called? Was it called Billy's Room? No, that was his garage. No, the, the equipment came from the studio where a lot of SST stuff was recorded. Oh, in Redondo Beach. Oh, would it have been uh, total, uh, total access? Total access, yeah. Total access. Eddie worked there, and he goes, oh, no, I really like the band. I'm going to borrow some equipment for about a week. <laughs> and he brought it to Billy's, Bill Bowman's garage, and we recorded it there. Okay. The Vita record. And... Hey, jumping ahead just a little bit, Des, I just thought of this, but on a recent episode, we were talking about that live record that you played on with Duff McKagan. How did that happen? You mean, how do I end up playing with yeah. him? Yeah. Well... It was like 1998 or seven or eight or something. And I was dating a girl named Sharon Needles. And she was in a band called Betty Blowtorch. Okay, yeah. And he was producing. And I was staying with her in Silver Lake, California. And he was producing an EP for them. Up at his house in, in uh, up in the uh, Hollywood Hills. Overlooking the valley. He had this beautiful house. And I never met him before. But he comes from punk rock backgrounds. Yeah. You know. So my girlfriend at the time, she comes home and they were doing sessions during the day. And she comes home and she goes, Hey, you know, your name came up at the session today because he was he had recorded an album that was done. It was called Beautiful Disease. Right, yeah. And it was going to be uh, released on Geffen, and, and he needed a touring band because people who played on the record, some of the people who ended up in the band did play on a few tracks on the album, but it you know, had like Izzy and Slash and 
not the original Guns N' Roses drummer, the guy after him. Uh, you know, just different right. people Sorum. on every track. Matt Sorum. Yeah. And different people on every track. The album was done, ready to go on. She's like, Duff wants to talk to you. I think it's about being in a touring band. And I go up there to the session. It was like, it was in the afternoon. So it's like one in the afternoon the next day. It was a Saturday. And and she goes, I think, well, before we went, I think he's going to ask you to see if you want to try out for the band. He's really excited that you're coming to his house. I go, me? Okay. So I go to his house, and he's got, like, this beautiful house in the hills and the swimming pool and the beautiful view of the San Fernando Valley on the other side of the Hollywood Hills. He's supposed to be, like, kind of producing this record, but he had an engineer there. And me and him, he, he was sober. He offered me beer, though. I was drinking regular beer, and we were watching the NBA playoffs. Oh, yeah. And that's what we did for three hours. And then at the end of it, he goes, well, you know, I recorded this album, and here's a demo CD of, like, five songs. I don't know if it's your cup of tea, but I know you're a wonderful guitar player. Here, take this and check it out, and let me know what you think. And he even told me, you know, he even told me, we'll be touring for this pretty much for almost like a year, nonstop. And he even gave me financial, you know, what he was going to pay me. Like he was going to pay me a thousand bucks a week to be in his, whether we, whether we played a gig or not. Oh, wow. And I, I did the math. I go, well, you know, I never made 52 <laughs> grand a year. So, I mean, so, you know, and, and I'll be playing rock and roll with this really cool and I thought he was a really just straightforward, really sweet individual. Great guy. I don't know if he was supposed to be working, but we sat and watched the NBA playoffs that year, you know. And so the next day, I'm sitting on the porch, and she comes back from the session the next day. And she goes, you know, Duff, all he could do during the session today uh, was – Talk about how Des Kadena was in his house <laughs> watching basketball. And it made me feel a little bit weird because, you know, I mean, we've all done many things. Right. And I don't really, you know, I mean, what was flattering to me is here's a guy with gold records on his wall, platinum records on his wall. Right. That he played on and he was a part of. But all he could do was talk about Des Kadena being at his house and being there. So I ended up taking the job. And what had happened was it was it was supposed to be released like before Thanksgiving. It kept getting postponed. And the reason being was there was a big record company merger. Mm. And they bought up like record companies were merging. Somebody bought them all up and then downsizing them. So somebody bought Geffen or it merged with somebody else. And then a lot of their projects got shelved. But during those three months, we even went on a little van tour. And because we were going on a van tour, we decided to make a recording at Al's Bar. Oh. Downtown Los Angeles. 
just so we could have some sort of merch to sell to go play South by Southwest. But that was towards the end because he was getting frustrated because he had just recorded this album. He was Duff McKagan. He was planning to go on a world tour. Right. We got this group together. Even Paul Rossler played a couple of rehearsals with us. Oh, wow. We were going to have keyboards, and then we decided he decided not to have keyboards. It was too much. But I think he decided that also when the record company said, your record's not, not ever going to come out. So that record is like the lost Duff McKagan. I don't play on it. Yeah. The one the one we did at Al's Bar is pretty good, but we and it's a lot of the same tunes that were on the record, but we, we kind of threw it together. Right. Within like a month or two, we just did a, a live show and brought some recording stuff into Al's Bar, and we uh, we did a record. Right. And I don't. I only think. I only think about a thousand or two thousand were printed. A thousand, maybe. So it's kind of rare. You know, the, the name of the band was Loaded. And then at that point, he got really discouraged, and he and he had he had just had a daughter, and she was just starting to be five, and he got discouraged with L.A. He didn't want his daughter to go to school in L.A., so he moved back to Seattle where he's from and then uh, started unloaded up there which was, was out playing for quite some years before he got like a velvet revolver and all those other bands eventually right. that he plays in. and then guns and roses uh of course reunion stuff right des i'm gonna let yeah. you i'm gonna let you go feed your dog but i want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today i really appreciate it I know. Can you hear her? <laughs> Could you hear her panting? She was like panting. A little bit, yeah. Not until you mentioned it. All right. Anything else you need? Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Des. Take care, man. All right. Always great to hear from Des again. And I, and I thought, Brant, one thing that came to my mind for sure after hearing that interview was what a great band name Dezo's dog would be. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time we've had a dog on the show, I think. Yeah, Dezo's yeah. dog. That'd be a great yeah. name for a band. And uh, no surprise there, but Brant yet again snuck in even more Guns N' Roses. <laughs> when opportunity knocks, you sneak in some Guns N' Roses for sure. Um, hey but, man, that that Duff McKagan album, "Beautiful Disease," is really good. You can find that as a bootleg. Like it never, I think it came out as pro, in promo copies. Yeah, uh, but it's really good. There's a he covers his own band, Neurotic Outsiders, on it, which was the band he had with Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. Right. He does a ten minute warning song on there actually. Uh, that live album that Des played on has most of, not most of it. It's got some of the tracks off this beautiful disease record, plus a cover of the song raw power. And the drummer in that band, uh, was Taz from Reverend Horton. Reverend Heat. Horton heat. Oh, no way. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing I liked about that story though, is just how humble Des sounds, you know, like he is a legendary guitarist who has played with, you know, more than just, Black Flag, obviously, DC3, and then the list goes on and on of amazing 
records and music that uh, Des has been a part of. So it's uh, it was great, even though you had to sneak in some Guns N' Roses to get at it. It is a really cool story about they, how they hooked up together to uh, to play some tunes. So is Dezo yeah. on that record that you mentioned? Or I thought he just was on the, like, as a touring band musician. Yeah, he's on the live one. Okay, cool. Yeah. One of the most interesting things for me was uh, that he had originally envisioned this as a triple album. Or I guess a double album with three sides of the Yeah, album. triple side. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally understand why a label would not want to do that but i mean it happens and i uh, wish it was a triple album that i mean they recorded three shows yeah the third well the fourth side sorry the fourth side could have been some cool etching maybe right see there you go again i have to say this if sst was a normal fucking record label they would have probably released vita the complete recordings by this point Oh, I know. A triple disc. Yeah. With the whole set, right? Yeah. 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 That'd be cool. All right. Should we talk about these tracks? Sure, man. History lesson, part two. All right. Before we get into the tracks, I'm just going to hit you with a quick spiel out of the Trouser Press, because I think it, it kicks it off nicely, okay? Yeah. Trouser Press, DC3, Vita. Compiling LA performances from 87 and 88, Vita mixes DC3 originals with covers of John Lee Hooker, Hawkwind, and Black Flag for an electrifying slab of smart and gutsy guitar rock that owes no debt to any era but the present. While Kadena's vocals and playing hit just the right noisy mix of casual concentration, Rossler contributes to the din without making a fuss. And uh, definitely, there is some, what do they say? Smart and gutsy guitar rock. Whoa. Yeah. I think Paul makes a fuss, like in a good way. Oh, some of the keys on this record, I was like, what? It's pretty, yeah, he's, well, Paul, he's shredding on the keys, man. Paul's a virtuoso, man. You got to remember, right? He's classically trained, so. Yeah, he was definitely whipping out some laser sounds on this record too, which I quite oh, yeah. enjoyed. Total Hawkwind vibe, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, this was released on LP, CD, and cassette. There are extra tracks on the CD and the cassette, which I'll get to when we go through this, which you, I doubt you've heard, Ryan. You have the LP, right? LP only. Sorry, dude. Yeah. All right, so it starts with Bang, 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 which was recorded at Raji's. Uh, this is the John Lee Hooker song that they cover on their album, The Good Hex. And... Wow, holy shit, Paul and Des just tearing the roof off, letting you know what you're getting on this record, like right out of the gate. Yeah, there's... Here at, here at Raji's on a Friday night, I think Des says. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some fret melting, but also some key melting, I think. Yeah, I really like that kind of staccato rhythm playing that Paul does throughout this record. You can really hear it on this song, though. Like the... That thing that he does? Yeah. Yeah. Then, Ryan, we go into this cool medley. This I call it the This is the Dream medley. It's kind of titled under the umbrella of the song I Believe It, which was written by Des. This song, this part of the track was recorded at Raji's. The whole thing's 13 minutes long, this kind of medley. 
Uh, as Des mentions, this was originally a Black Flag track dating back to Des's time in the band. Uh, it can be heard on the 82 demos bootleg as What Can You Believe? I know we did mention that in the This Is The Dream episode, but I would kind of forgotten about that. So I'm glad Des reminded me of that. Then we go into the track that's listed as two point. I'm just going off the CD. I don't know if the record has it listed this way, but on the CD it's called 2.2 Doom. Uh, which is called Apparent Doom on This Is The Dream. Bit of a Hawkwind ambient thing. Des doing a bit of Hendrix. Uh, Paul's got some kind of wind and, like you said, some laser effects going on. Yeah. Perfect track to morph into the Hawkwind album, Angels of Death, written by Dave Brock of, of Hawkwind, Hawkwind, of course. Again, recorded at Raji's. Taken from the Hawkwind album Sonic Attack from 1981. Um, that's one of Hawkwind's heavier records. This is an awesome version of that song, especially with Paul and Des harmonizing like that. Are you a Hawkwind fan, Ryan? We've talked about this before, and I, I just have not set aside some time for it. And I know, for example, like those early releases that have Lemmy on them are legendary. And that, but if you're a real Hawkwind fan, you you kind of like it all, right? Yeah. And that, well, maybe I, not all of it, but there's lots to like there for sure. Right. I, I've not really dipped my toe into the Hawkwind yet. Um, I've I've checked out a few tracks now and then. I get the sense though, you really need to get the album and listen to it from start to finish, maybe with headphones on. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Track two point four. Ain't No Time Now, written by Des. This was recorded at Bogarts, but kind of uh, edited in to appear as though it's part of this suite of songs. Again, it's from This Is The Dream, another another of the songs dating back to Des's time in Flag, and it's on the 82 demos as Yes I Know. Then we go to track 2.5, Overtime, credited to DC3, again recorded at Bogarts. The way they come out of Ain't No Time Now and into this is exactly how they do it on the studio record. Uh, except in the studio version, Des is speaking over top of this track. And then we go into track 2.6, Time and a Half, again credited to DC3 at Bog Bogarts. They kind of stop on a dime and go into a slow outro jam with Des soloing just like a total pro. Uh, which is why the song's called Time and a Half. It's overtime, kind of cut in half. I definitely hear some Tony Iommi in yeah. his leads, for sure. It's Sabbathy for me. A little... Yeah. And, and you know what? It's hard to tell on the LP, at least it was for me, whether... Am I talking about overtime? Am I talking about time and a half? I'm not so sure, but there are Sabbathy parts. It kind of sounds War Pigs-esque. The, yeah. the jam that they're on and I, I was totally digging it yeah it's a perfect kind of coda to this epic medley okay then we go into this song called As You Will credited to DC3 at Bogarts as Des explains in the interview this was a jam that he ended up touching up in the studio afterwards with some spoken word vocals over top is he saying, Ryan, it's all about crossroads? Maybe. Like, I hear, that's right, you heard me, it's all about crossroads, man. How many of them do you reach in your time? Move, goddammit. 
<laughs> Wake Move, up and Robert. smell coffee. Yep. Move, Robert, which I'm assuming he's talking about Robert, Robert. Bracera, maybe. Oh. Move, idiot. Move, Mr. Zappa. Move over, Madonna. Roll over, Beethoven. Move, Dezo. Why don't you move for me, Devo? That's right, Dukowski. Move. Move, Mr. Ruth and Smear. And then it ends with wake up and smell the coffee buzz on kind of a loop. Yeah. I, th I mean, if it's about the crossroads, could it be Robert Johnson? Maybe? Maybe. Maybe. That movie was probably pretty new when this was recorded, so maybe yeah. it's about that. With Ralph Macchio? Yeah. <laughs> and that, Steve Vai. That wicked Ryan. battle between Ralph Macchio and Steve Vai, yeah. Yeah. Steve Vai totally wins, by the way. Here's what Paul told me about the jams on this record. Paul Rossler. What happens when you jam and play songs live over and over is that they become somewhat structured and they discover an identity. One of the main reasons I wanted to record a, a live album was to capture the way those improv sections had grown organically. It was a really essential part of who the band was, those jam sections, and it seemed like the best way to document uh, these jams was in a live setting. So if you're listening on vinyl, uh, Ryan, this is where you would flip the record over. Yep. The cassette goes into No One But Yourself to Blame, and this is the dream. I'm going off the CD, so we're going to keep going here. Side two of the record, then, would be The Maniac, written by Des. And we're headed to the Palomino now. And as Des mentions in the interview, this is about a friend of Robert Becerra's, uh, who was the guitarist in The Stains, of course. I like the way he says, North Hollywood, when they go into the breakdown. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool how that this morphs out of, like, a rock song into a blues jam. And then again, they kind of do this minor key, key part kind of gives this song a real epic feel. Then we go into another Hawkwind cover, Psy Power written by Dave Brock and Robert Calvert recorded at the Palomino. This is originally on the Hawk Lords album, 25 years on, which is a really good record from 78. Uh, it's written on that album as PSI Power not PSY, like they spell it here. Uh -huh. Hawk Hawkwind had briefly changed their name for legal reasons to the Hawklords. Although if you buy the reissue of 25 years on, I think it's credited to Hawkwind. Des mentions a totally ripping version from the album, This Is Hawkwind, Do Not Panic, which was recorded in 1984 live at Stonehenge, which does de indeed include Ginger Baker on drums. If you listen to that record, and you should because it's awesome, uh, you can really hear the influence on DC3 uh, in Des and Paul's playing, and right down even to Des's vocals, actually. They're not dissimilar to Dave's, Dave Brock's vocals. Des, Des singles out the lyrics uh, to this song, which are really great. When I was a kid in school, they showed me symbols on a card. They sent me them from a locked and bolted room. I had to fake that it was hard. Circle, square, triangle, waves. I got crystal clear by the hour. And I said, may I please take a rest? I didn't want them to know I was possessed with psi power. Nice. Ooh. Well, this is definitely, there's lots of psi power on this track. This is the one where we get ultra, ultra mystical keys and laser sounds for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool story from Des in this next song, Your Mother which is credited to Groucho Marx, 
recorded at the Palomino. So Ryan, I have to tell people the reason we didn't announce last week that we were having Des on is because uh, I'd been trying to get a hold of Des for weeks and uh, he actually just cold called me like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the blue. And we started talking and th this song came up when we were talking and he recited the poem to me right then and there. Yeah. I can tell you for a fact, he didn't have it in front of him. He knew it. He knows that poem by heart. And I was like, oh man, like I have to get this on tape. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said to him, like, can we, can we redo this? and talk about this record. So it was really impromptu interview. And uh, that poem just did it for me. I was like, people have to hear Des reciting this poem. Yeah. It was so awesome. This this track, though, Your Mother, it has, for me, like a Southern rock kind of vibe to it a bit. Like, am I hearing that right? Maybe. I didn't pick that out, but I'll, no? I'll listen for it next time I listen to this record. You would know more than I would. Yeah. Uh, like many of the people we've spoken to, Ryan, Des doesn't even own an actual copy of this. He has a test pressing in a blank sleeve. So, you know, he. it's interesting how many people I talk to don't have their own records to even reference when we're talking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Groucho Marx, of course, was an American comedian and actor who passed away in 1977. He made 13 feature films with his siblings, the Marx Brothers, and was known for hosting the game show You Bet Your Life. Uh, this is the song also where we talk in the interview. Des says, no thanks to Fred Ruthensmere for not showing up to do his part. Then we go into the song The Locust, written by Des, again from the Palomino. Uh, this is the opening track on The Good Hex. It's a good head down rocker. Music is my food, is in the lyrics, which I, is a lyric that I like. This is one of their signatures, though, right? For me? Yeah, for sure. And then we close out the record with Thirsty and Miserable, written by Des, Medea Jones, and Robo, recorded at Raji's. He dedicates this on the record to Dave Chandler, like he says it through the mic. Nice extended jam to kind of close out the album, and that's the end of the LP. Then the cassette adds, adds on the songs Blind and Dance of the Imbeciles, but I'm going to tell you what the CD does. So it goes into No One But Yourself to Blame slash Never. Uh, that coda, Never, is credited to DC3 and Paul Rossler. The main track is No One But Yourself to Blame is credited to Paul. This was our ballot result pick on The Good Hex. None of these bonus tracks, by the way, uh, have the venues listed on the CD, so I don't know where any of them were recorded. Too bad it's not on the LP. It's a great rock song sung by Paul. Uh, Des just melting frets while Paul handles <laughs> handles vocals. They do this cool thing pre-solo where they double each other on keys and guitar. What really comes across on this track and the whole album really is how in sync they were. Oh, yeah. Des and Paul. They were... The whole band's crazy tight, though. Yeah. They were meant to be together, these guys, for sure. Yeah. Uh, never... The kind of little coda to this is just a blues jam version of the song with Paul kind of twinkling the ivories, honky-tonk style, and he's just crooning uh, mad chops across the board for the whole band. Then track 10 on the CD, This Is The Dream, written by Des. 
the title track off the debut record. It has this really great melodic solo in the middle with Des and Paul playing off each other. Uh, I think he mentions in the interview that this is song a song about you know his dream of fronting his own band, which if you remember on the back cover of that record, he kind of talks about, he has a little spiel about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then we go to the song Blind, credited to Des, Paul, and Louie. Known by its full title on on the parent record, You're Only As Blind, blind As Your Mind Can Be. It's an intr- instrumental jam with a bit more structure to it. Paul takes a super wicked solo in this version, and so does Des. And Des, like, he really had great tone on this record. I should have asked him what he, what kind of guitar he was playing. Yeah. Like, what his rig was. I think well, he played he, Les Pauls. Yeah, I th- I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, he was, to my ears, really a student of a really rich, classic, distorted, you know, prog rock type of guitar tone, like... And, and he had it nailed. He had it locked in by now, right? Yeah. Cool thing Des mentions in the interview, too, is that this track title, and I guess the title of the record, You're Only As Blind, uh, comes from the Uli Jean Roth lyric. That was pretty cool. Yeah. No surprise there that Des is a fan as well. Uh, track 12, Dance of the Imbeciles, credited to Des and Paul. Des sings it here on the live record, but on This Is The Dream, Paul sings lead. Uh, also takes an interesting left turn halfway through with another bitch in Des solo. Um, it sounds like a set closer to me. They do this really long jam, and then it kind of, they let this note ring out, and then it goes, da 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 Like super tight ending, you know? And then on the CD, we have the song Everything which is credited to Robert Becerra, and it's just him going, everything's everything, everything, everything. There's kind of like a digital delay on it. Okay. That's what that is. That's it. That's the record. Should we go through the artwork? Yeah. So you mentioned in the interview, the cover art is done by Nan Rowland, who was Mike Watt's girlfriend for a while, hey? Yeah, never would have known that. It looks like a cool watercolor type of um almost like a it looks like some sort of almost like a spiritual indigenous face sun sunset type thing um it totally totally fits the dc3 vibe though like 100 percent. definitely watercolor and i love the dc3 logo on the front of this too yeah i think maybe caesar did that the lettering he did the he did the lettering on the back for sure. Yeah. 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 And on the back, it has a similar type of look. There's these broad brush strokes yep. that create this, this layered effect in the watercolor on the back. Um, looks almost like a, you know, you really do get some perspective with the way that they're done too. I mean, you're, it looks like you're looking off into the distance and at the top of the back in very small writing, it says everything is everything, almost as the image goes off into the distance. So it totally fits there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then at the bottom there it says philosophical quotes by Robert Becerra, which I'm assuming is a reference to that. Yeah, yeah. You're probably right. What do you think of these little 
images that indicate where it was recorded. Like the moonshine bottle for for Raji's, the, the dude's face, and, uh, and I don't know what that is, like two other people or a hand for Bogart's. And then uh, it looks like a, like a corn, right? An ear of corn for the palate. Oh, I thought it was a fly. Oh, maybe it's it a fly. A... It looks like an ear of yeah. corn to me. Maybe. Kind of cool. I thought it was, you know, I don't know if it's on purpose, but the fact that Thirsty and Miserable was recorded at Raji's and you get that triple X bottle next to Thirsty and Miserable on the, the liner notes, I thought that that yeah. was, that's a good match. Yeah, it's got the studio albums listed on the back. It's a cool package. Oh, yeah. Layout and art direction by Don Lewis. And no dead wax, unfortunately. Hmm. I guess that takes us to the ballot result. Ballot result. All right, Brent. I do dig me some DC3 these days, but DC3 is a Brent band, so what do you pick? Well, I picked two of the bonus tracks. No One But Yourself to Blame, and Dance of the Imbeciles. But I think we should go with something off the, the LP. And my favorites off of that are Psy Power. But can we put I Believe It? And like, if we put in I Believe It, does it encompass all of those tracks? I Believe It, Doom, Angels of Death, like those three. And Overtime and Time and a Half. And oh, and Ain't No Time, like that Eight, whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. The whole middle section of side one? Like I consider that one track. I'm down. Cause it is on the it is on the CD. It's one track when you play it. Yeah, I think it's listed as five different tracks on the LP, but hmm. the bylaws allow it. If it's one track on a CD, we're good. Okay. That's what it is then. I believe it. Nice. Hey, thanks to Des for coming on the show. And to Paul too. And to Angelina. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great having Des on shedding some light on this. Like, again, never would have known that the vocals to As You Will were recorded in the studio. Yeah, great insight to uh, another cool, like, quintessential SST release, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant. Episode 157, last one of the year, we're going to get SWA. And I mean real SWA. Yeah. We're going to go into the Evolution 85 to 87 SWA release. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, man. Greg Cameron's on the show and it's an awesome interview. Can't wait for everyone to hear it. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.